Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Today's uh, sermon, today's content is uh, it's PG-13, um, just to do with the uh, sensitivity of the, the nature of what we're going to get into, the rawness of the scriptures, and just delving into and looking at um, this passage of scripture, um, it's, just, it's just raw. And so as we get into it, but I believe it's something that's needful. I I think it's something the church needs to address um, because as we look at living cage free, um, there are different cages that the enemy wants to to keep us in. And and today we're going to look at the cage of trauma. And so many times the enemy wants to take something that happened to us, wasn't our fault. Um, we, we, it was not something we brought on ourselves in any shape, form, or fashion. It was something that happened to us. And then multiply, multiply the abuse of it, multiply the tragedy of it by keeping us caged by it. And today what we're declaring is the, the moment, the, the, the place of the hurt, we can't undo that. But what we can do today, what we can do is open the cage door and walk out of the cage and say that the trauma is not going to be an influence. It's not going to be a guide. It's not going to be a limiting factor in my life anymore, not by my own will, but because God's love and grace has come to set us free and to renew. That is the heart and the behind this message this morning. If you've got your bulletin, if you've got your Bible app, if you've... Uh, forgive me. I haven't even got it to the notes yet. <laughs> um, I've been on the verge of tears all morning. Uh, anyways, if you would just follow along, however it is, you're going to follow along. We better get started. Um, the truth is, is that Jesus um, set us free so that we can live free. He wants us free. So perfectly, clearly declared and Paul's letter to the region of Galatia. In Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Don't let it come back. God has come to set us free and we're gonna have to stand in the freedom. And some of that standing is making some decisions to embrace freedom to let go of the slavery, to let go of the cage and to embrace freedom and recognize that God wants to reset us to what he originally designed for us, what he originally had for us. The truth is, is none of us are born at that original spot because we come in with the stain of sin from birth. It's part of the human condition, our fallen condition. And that's why Jesus came to to bring new life. And as soon as you and I begin to embrace that new life, then what the Holy Spirit wants to do is begin to now remove all of the extra stuff 
that sin and living in a fallen world have begun to attach to us and, and pull off of us. And, and God wants to, to renew who we are. Uh, got an absolutely amazing birthday gift um, three years ago on my birthday, on my 47th birthday. I just celebrated my 50th birthday. And I feel, thank you. And um, anybody knows me know I love uh, old classic cars. And uh, Cutie bought me a uh, 65 Mustang GT. And uh, yes, and so, and uh, um, the thing is, is um, it looked like a life-size model. Um, because it was all in pieces, and so none of it was put together. You, the nothing that could be unbolted um, was bolted together. I mean, everything was in pieces, and so it, it's been um, at a body shop um, for a long time. And uh, so, but I got to go check on it this week, and it is making progress. One day you're going to see it out there, and I'm going to drive that car every day. And so, it is not going to be a trailer queen. It's it's going to be at Walmart. It's going to be everywhere it'll have to be repainted periodically because it's going to get nicks and dings and 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 so but and I, and I can't wait but as I went to go check on it this week I was super excited about the progress um, because I saw bare metal I saw bare metal and bare metal is exciting because that means we finally got down to the foundation and there was just bare metal everywhere. It's supposed to spray some primer this week, bless God, and then sand that down. We're going to get some paint on it and then we get to move on to the next phase, praise God. But the bare metal part, it, it's exciting. It's exciting on the bare metal part and it feels like going the wrong direction, that there was paint and there was all of these other things that, that were inadequate. They weren't right. And you had to go all the way back down to the foundation and finally see in the bare metal, even though it feels like you're going the wrong way, it's the right way. Getting back down to the root so you can build up correct is the right way to do it. And today, some of you, you're going to feel like we're going the wrong way. Some of you are going to feel like there's some things that you have put aside, some things you have suppressed, you have purposely ignored. You have, through the years, come to a space like this to get away from the thoughts, to get away from the trauma, to get away. The part of me that's having a hard time with this message is I don't do this lightly. I have no desire to bring up pain. I have no desire to bring up hurt. I have no desire to bring up bad memories. I have no desire. But if we don't go there, if we don't get back to bare metal, we cannot rebuild fully. All we will do is we'll patch it and that, that place that it'll, it'll always be off, it'll never be right. And so we have to go all the way back to bare metal this morning. And so as we just go ahead and get into this, that we're gonna look at the, that the damage of trauma, it can be healed. Yeah. It can, but we have to let the healer have access to it. And that is the most vulnerable, scary thing ever especially if it happened to you when you were a kid 
and you had no way to process what happened to you, had no way to handle what happened to you. And so you quickly adapted some sort of just survival mechanism. And it's always some form of suppression. It's always some form of just blocking it to the side, just carving that chunk out, setting it to the side and say, yeah, I I just don't, I just don't go there. I just don't talk about this. I just don't function in this space. And the passage of scripture that we're going to get into is a, is a very direct passage that has to do uh, with sexual violence and sexual trauma. There was a study that was released in the spring of this year. It's just nauseating. That 50% of women in the U.S. have experienced some kind of sexual violence. 50%. I have four daughters. I have four daughters. I can't imagine the heart of God. The 50% of his baby girls. just want to heal. He just wants to heal. 30% of men, 30% of men have experienced some sort of sexual, some sort of sexual aggression, some sort of sexual violence. That's 40%, 40% overall. Between both services, we're gonna have over a thousand people gather here at Celebration Church, which that means 400, 400 that'll walk through that door. We've been impacted personally by sexual violence. It's a tragedy, it's wrong. It breaks the heart of God. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, be fruitful and multiply, he in the perfection of the garden released them for sexual expression in a healthy and whole way. Never intended for it to be a, such a tool of the enemy. And that is, the, that is the, just the absolute insidiousness of it is because it is one of the things that reflects the original design. Sexual expression goes back to the perfection of the garden. They were there, they were naked and knew no shame because there was no shame associated with sexual expression and there was no shame associated with it. And they were able to to live in the beauty and the perfection of it. And then all it took was was the bite and have the knowledge of good and evil. And they immediately covered up. And they had not experienced sexual violence at all. But their brain was flooded with the unhealthy use of the naked human form. And they got shame just in that. And they covered up. And we've been covering up ever since. They both hid from God and we've been hiding from God ever since. And so it's just like the enemy 
to come in and do something that was gifted and created by God that reflects the beauty and the perfection of our original design and to break it in such a terrible, tragic way. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to renew. He wants to restore. He wants to bring that space back. It's his. It belongs to him. It does not belong to the enemy. Sexual expression does not belong to the enemy. But there are so many places and so much pain associated with it that we just, as a church, we just skirt it. We just, we just avoid it. And the next space we see is that it comes against, it's always an attack against this thing that you and I desperately need so much. And that's trust of our community. Because 80% of sexual assault victims know their assailant. They know them. And there's something that it breaks the back of your psyche that says, I have to be careful with everyone. And just like we looked at last week, that if we're walking the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. In real, genuine, open, honest fellowship, we get renewed and restored and that lack of trust makes us put up walls with one another. That assault is not simply an assault a physical act. It is something that wants to isolate us and wants to get us disconnected. And God wants to bring healing and restoration. We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 13 verses 1 and we're just keep, we're going to roll for a while. Last week when we looked at the cage of cover up when we looked at the cage of just shame avoidance and not wanting to bring these things and have them exposed we saw in 2 Samuel 11 David and has taken advantage of Bathsheba the manipulations and the cover of it cover up of it that takes place all the way through that chapter chapter 12 is when he gets confronted about his sin by Nathan the prophet and he repents. Chapter 13 is the very next thing that the scriptures seal up for us. And we'll see that as David, as David went out and, and had sexual violence because he used his authority with Bathsheba. And the scriptures didn't say he raped her. There was this pressure as he did that outside of his family. All of a sudden, we're going to see now what he unleashed inside his family begins to just completely unravel. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, it says, in the course of time, so some time goes by after the events of 11 and 12, Amnon, son of David, this is his oldest son, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. The sister of the son of David, Amnon's son of David. Wait a second. Wait a second. Amnon falls in love with a sister. Falls in love with a sister. Now David, on a thing I still don't understand, had multiple wives. 
And so they have two different mothers. Amnon and Tamar have two different mothers, but the same dad. And he falls in love. And so verse two, it says, and Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Her daddy is the king, has all authority, period. Her daddy's the king. He's the son of the king, but it's like, she, she's, un, she's untouchable. It's like, I can't do anything with her. And now, now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. See, if I was writing this, I would have just said that it was Jonadab, his cousin. But we get the whole family lineage. So his advisor is his cousin, who's also Tamar's cousin. So here is this guy beginning to, to, to lust after his sister and his cousin begins to encourage it, begins to be a part of it. And he asked Amnon, why you, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? And Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. He won't even call it my sister. He understands there's something off there. So it's my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill. So now here comes the fake scenario. Here comes the, the trap. And Jonadab said, and when your father comes to see you, because King David will come see his sick son. But he's, he's faking, he's pretending. He said, when your dad comes to see you, the king, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come to me. So you call her your brother's sister, but here you need to say my sister because it looks so, more, so much more innocent. It looks like you're not up to any good. And begin to hide behind innocent motives. Begin to hide and guise these things and we begin to and you look back and you can just see how things begin to unfold in an unhealthy way. And, says, and I want my sister Tamar to come and to give me something to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretend to be ill and the king came to see him and Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat it from her hand. And David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother and Amnon and prepare some food for him. So now the man that was supposed to protect Tamar is the one who commands her to be in the presence of the one who's gonna hurt her. The one who is supposed to protect, didn't protect. And story after story 
we find this to be true. All these years later, there's places of manipulation, there's places of, of fakeness, there's, there's places of, of creating scenarios and situations to get alone and those who should have seen through it, those who should have noticed something was up. What a weird request. I want my sister to bake some bread and fr- I wanna watch her make it and she's gonna feed it to me. That's weird. Why does David not see through that? Something's up. But David is so focused on all of his kingly responsibilities, he forgets his fatherly responsibilities. And just says, oh, that's all you need? Okay, yeah, your sister, she'll go and prepare the food. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, and kneaded it, made the bread in his side and baked it. And then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left. Got her completely alone. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I might eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared. She brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. And when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and he said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother. She said to him, don't force me. Such a thing would not be done in Israel. This is a violation against God's people. This isn't just a violation against me. It's not just a violation against you. This is a violation against the the nation. Don't force me. Don't do this wicked thing. And what about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? She knows that it's not just going to be the moment. It's not just going to be that. It's going to be everything that hangs on afterwards. It's going to be the fact that this moment is going to mark me. And it's going to hang with me the rest of my life. Please don't do this. And then even begins to care about him. What about you? Would you, you would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. What? This guy is being aggressive with you? And you're like, just just marry me. How many people have stayed in relationships just to avoid some other kind of pain? to not be left in isolation, to not be disconnected. How many people have stayed in relationships with their abuser because they just, they just didn't want to deal with all the ramifications that come afterwards? How many? The story is as fresh as 2023. Over and over and over again, we see this sadly played out. 
but he refused to listen to her and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Simply overpowered her, ignored her pleas, ignored her logic for him, ignored everything and he, he raped her. 2 Samuel 13, 13 reads it this way. He says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? She knew the after effects, the shame of the rape was going to be worse than the rape. That the act was going to be terrible. The act was atrocious. It was wrong. But the, the weight of the shame thereafter was worse. She said, where can I go with it? Where can I carry it? I won't know how to get rid of my shame. And the Spirit of God, I believe, is here today to release shame, to release the thing that sticks, the thing that just carries, the thing that just feels like it. there's no place to take it. I'm here today to tell you there's a place to take it, and it's called the presence of God. It's the grace of God. There's a place to take it. There's a place to release it. There's a place to trust again. And it is the presence of God. See, God's love will release you from the cage of shame. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? In verse 15, it says, then Amnon, as soon as he gets his lust fulfilled, he could think of nothing but her for who knows how long. It was at least morning after morning after morning because someone else notices it's, it's got him all twisted up. His cousin notices and helps him plot the plan. And he rapes her and as soon as his lust is fulfilled, a switch is flipped. And now, he wants nothing to do with her. Now he wants nothing to do with her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And he said to her, get up and get out. He had plotted, he had brought in the authority of the king to get her into that space. And now that he got what he wanted, he just like, get out of my sight, get away from me. How many people have been wounded? Not because they were raped, because they thought they found someone who cared for them, who loved them who desired them. And as soon as they got what they wanted, they wanted nothing to do with them ever again. And some of you that carry that shame, it wasn't rape, it was consensual. But looking back, you could see it was one string of manipulation after manipulation. And you're hard on yourself. And you're like, how could I be so stupid? How could I fall for that? 
And I'm here to tell you, the enemy and some person manipulated your desire to be loved, your desire to matter, your desire to be wanted. And it was unhealthy and it was demonic. And if that's you this morning and you're carrying the shame of that space, I'm telling you, God wants to turn you loose and set you free. He wants to set you free. He wants to reset it. Otherwise, this beautiful thing of sexual expression that God gave it to, to be between a man and a woman in the, in the state of holy marriage, it will, it will always be tainted. It will always be off if we don't let God reset the trauma in our lives. It'll always be off. And he says, get up and get out. And no, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done. But he refused to listen to her. And he called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. And so his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And she was wearing an ornate robe, something that signified who she was. She was, a, she was a daughter of the king and she's being sent out. She was a virgin. She's, she's been raped. She's been kicked out. She's in pain. She's bleeding. And she's been kicked to the curb to go find her space, wherever it is on the palace grounds. She sees this ornate robe on her that marks her as one of the virgin daughters of the king and it's repulsive to her. She can't even wear that and be marked by that anymore. And Tamar, verse 19, puts ashes on her head and she tore the ornate robe that she was wearing and she puts her hands on her head and she went out weeping aloud. She's like, my identity is destroyed. It's destroyed. She just, she just leaves. She just leaves. And the casual observer, casual palace guard, thinks that she is an over-emotional, dramatic woman. She's not. She is hurt in every way you can be hurt. She has no idea what to do next. And she grieves. She grieves the best way she knows how. And it's something that has to be grieved. And sometimes the healing step never happens because you never grieved because something may have happened like what happens to her. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And all of a sudden, somebody tells you to be quiet. She's trying to grieve, she's trying to do it. She goes to the closest person to her and they're just like, hush, hush, hush. 
one more place of wound. One more place of wound. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. The word desolate, you look it up, it means a, a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. And there are those who've experienced this kind of hurt and pain, and there's an emptiness that's created that just feels like it's just gotta be, something's gotta fill it, something's gotta fill it, something's gotta fill it. And chase after all sorts of different things. And I'm here today to tell you the the place of restoration, the place of filling again is found in the presence of God. I need our worship team to come. And when the king heard all this, he was furious. Oh, he was mad. But that's the end of the story of King David's response. He was furious. He did nothing. He did nothing. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad, but he hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Psalm 34, 18 reminds us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He brings restoration. He brings restoration. Psalm 1-3 says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that it does will prosper. This is the very opposite of desolate. When we plant ourselves by God, when we, when we connect with him, all of a sudden he brings life and there's no season of unfruitfulness. God can bring health and restoration out of so many different spaces in our lives. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.